When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast, as you know, that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into the game we all love and which is back in full swing. I'm in McGarry and with me as always is Duncan Castles. We've got lots of transfer news for you today as well as long-awaited Dunkey Award for this week. See if you can guess given what's been going on so far in the Premier League how that's going to shape up. However we start with an interesting Duncan and also quite controversial possibility of a former Liverpool hero one might even say legend, perhaps moving to the other side of Merseyside. It's our understanding that the agent of Philip Coutinho, Keir option, who has very close links with Everton chairman Farad Moshri, has offered the player to uh, the Goodison club on a year's loan from his current parent club, Barcelona. Obviously, he spent the last, this last season at Bayern Munich. Uh, with Barcelona willing to pay at this moment in time, it's not been negotiated yet, uh, 30% of Coutinho's salary, making it affordable for the Toffees, but also giving the opportunity to sign clearly what has been a very, very excellent Premier League player, despite um, his rather disappointing spell uh, in the camp now and not exactly tearing up uh, the turf at the Allianz Arena with Bayern Munich either. Duncan, this is an interesting one, I suppose, because um, Everton have a, a kind of surplus of players on their squad who are currently earning a lot of money. And so I think the Barcelona paying a proportion of Coutinho's salary would be crucial to any possibility of this deal going through, even as a loan. Look, I think what it tells you is... Um the degree of desperation involved in trying on Barcelona's part and on um, representatives of Philippe Coutinho in, in trying to find the player a home. We know Barcelona would prefer to sell. Um, we know Barcelona have to get his wages off their, their books um, in one way or another uh, and need to raise cash um, to achieve what they want to achieve in the transfer market. Um, we told you about um, the proposals coming in for Ansu Fati from uh, top clubs in Europe, including Manchester United, on the, the basis that they're aware that Barcelona need money and, and um, rather than a player like Philippe Coutinho, they want uh, a duel of the, of the La Masia um, Academy, um, who, uh, who's got a, a bigger future ahead of him and would be um, well, with a current salary of €500,000 um, a year would be far less expensive in terms of adding a player to their wage bill. That um, Coutinho's representatives have got to the stage of offering him to Everton 
as I say, I think tells you that they're that this isn't looking like a good summer for them to find a home for their player because you can be sure that Everton were not first in the list of clubs um, that Coutinho was offered to. As you say, Kia Jarabshin, um, who's a sort of joint agent of um, Philippe Coutinho with um, Brazilian agent uh, Bertolucci, um, has a good relationship with uh, the Everton hierarchy um, and has taken players there before and taken players out of the club. So it, it makes sense that he would uh, propose the opportunity to Everton. Um, as you say, there would be an attractiveness to it if they think they can land a player of his quality um, and potentially return them to an environment um, of the Premier League and the northwest of England where he produced the best football of his career and um, have a, a player who was uh, a, a, the most valuable individual at Liverpool, or perceived as the most valuable individual at Liverpool not so long ago, in their own ranks for a season which they'll have um, Carlo Ancelotti in, in full charge for, for the first full campaign. We told you earlier in the week that they are um, looking uh, at deal to bring Thiago Silva from Paris Saint-Germain um, under freedom of contract. Again, that shows ambition. I think Coutinho would be more expensive than the Thiago Silva deal. And, and there's probably one other element here which has happened in the, in the past um, couple of days which is relevant to any club spending in that um, UEFA have relaxed financial fair play rules for the coming season. Uh, we'll talk more about that in detail, but what, what it allows a club like Everton, who, as you say, have problems with their balance sheet, have recruited um, in a problematic fashion for several seasons and have got left with a lot of players who are overpaid for their um, performance on the field and who they will find difficult to move elsewhere. They've kind of got a mini version of the, of the Barcelona Coutinho um, and other players, other well-paid players problem. Uh, of their own to, to handle, it allows them a bit more headroom in that the UEFA financial fair play rules, which are relevant to them because their aim is to get into UEFA club competition, um, have been relaxed and that will allow them more space um, to get investment from the hidden owner of the club, um, Alisher Usmanov, um, onto the, the playing books if they choose to go down that strategy of, again, being aggressive in the transfer market and again going for for players you would expect to be beyond their economic abilities in terms of the actual revenue, um, genuine revenue that they, they draw in from their activities at present. Interesting that uh, there certainly seems to be an ambition to invest in Carlo Ancelotti's leadership as well, Duncan, uh, as we reported on the podcast earlier this week, the interest in Chago Silva, although again, no transfer fee involved for him as he's on a freedom of contract from Paris Saint-Germain. No transfer involved, fee involved with Coutinho because it would be a loan deal. That does give them some leeway. Uh, we understand that Morgan Schneiderlin is, is close to leaving Everton, which uh, again has been a transfer which hasn't worked out uh, in the way that the club would have hoped, given the amount of money they paid to Manchester United for the player, as well as the salary that he commands. The one thing about Coutinho, though, Duncan, is he reminds me a little bit of this, of our old old mate Jimmy Rodriguez, a man who moved, uh, having played the best football of his life in a World Cup to Real Madrid, 
owned to fit himself getting farmed out to anyone that would take him and, and still seems to be wandering like a, a nomad the, the, the stadia of Europe hoping to find himself somewhere a permanent home and you know Coutinho you would have thought when he moved to Barcelona would never be in that position given how influential he was at Anfield yeah the, the fall from grace for Coutinho has been um, stark I, I think the phrase that I hear here is um trapped in a gilded cage and it was a, a phrase I, I first heard in reference to Hidetoshi Nakata um, when he could not get out of Serie A um, at a period of his career when he was a, a he was a, a real talent um, and a lot of clubs were interested in taking him from Serie A but his wages were so high because of his status in Japan and the commercial value to the club that um, the, 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 the teams who had interest in him felt that he was just too expensive from a salary perspective um, to be worthwhile taking despite his talents. And, and that's what you've got with James Rodriguez. That's what you've got with Philippe Coutinho. One, one thing to say about Everton, there is no shortage of ambition from their ownership and there's no shortage of resource. Um, you've seen the money they put into the, the training ground, the sponsorship coming from Usmanov's company. They've done this remarkable deal where they've taken up naming rights for the new stadium, which hasn't even been built yet. So Usmanov is paying money to Everton for a stadium that doesn't exist and is merely um, in the, uh, the, the the planning and development stages. Never very, very inventive kind of sponsorship, but... Uh, uh, one you would think might have ramifications in the normal FFP environment down the lines. But he has money to spend on football. He has a huge ambition to achieve in football. And therefore, if you get a scenario, which is what, which is one that looks like happening where the, the, the regulatory framework is dampened down, and we wait to see what the Premier League does in this regard, but certainly UEFA have done it. Um, that gives these kind of individuals the capacity to put a lot of liquidity into their clubs in the way that Roman Abramovich did, in the way that Abu Dhabi did with Manchester City, with Qatar have done with Paris Saint-Germain and partially contributed to bringing financial fair play into existence because it, it was imbalancing football at the time. Perhaps Everton will insist on the new stadium, which, as you said, doesn't exist yet, uh, making its debut on FIFA 21, <laughs> along with the sponsorship, so that that name gets out there. <laughs> now that we have F FIFA 20 fans noise uh, in Premier League matches coverage, um, or as you said to me, Duncan, is it out of sync for you, R2? And I said, no, I turned it off after two minutes. Um, much more interesting. On to Southampton, and of course we have reported that uh, they have taken out a substantial loan just to keep the wolf from the door regarding the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, the club has put itself into a situation where they have had to take out some financial restructure. And now, Duncan, further evidence of uh, the difficulties the club are in with regard to selling perhaps their best player, one of their best players, who also, of course, is out of contract in a year. Yeah, look, as we told you about Southampton, the club has been made available for sale. The, the, the books were looking very bad pre-COVID. They, um, 
they have got worse and worse, obviously, since um, that uh, £100 million plus loan they've been seeking to give themselves liquidity to get them through this crisis has been very important to them. But it's all been brought about by very poor recruitment. Um, they have spent substantial fees, not top, top level fees, but they've been going into the €20 million Euro plus market and taking players on wages of £100,000 a week. Um, and once you get several of those in your squad, when you're a club of Southampton scale, you need those transfers to work. What they did very well previously was buying players for five, six uh, million pounds or euros, bringing them into the Premier League, um, not paying them super high wages, but and, and having that hunger and ambition to develop within the Premier League. And when they did so, they increased in value and they took, in the case of Virgil van Dijk, a huge um, profit on that transfer when they, they moved them to Liverpool. Their, their, their model has shifted. The kind of players they've bought has shifted and they've had too many failures. And they have uh, this season, they've had a lot of highly paid players out on loan. Um, before COVID came about, they were hoping to sell off uh, substantial numbers of those players because they needed to get them off the wage book. Obviously, COVID has... Um, uh, exaggerated and, and intensified the difficulties they have. And they're now in a position where they want to sell um, to raise money. Uh, Pierre-Emile Hoiberg, who arguably has been their most effective performer this season, um, their backs are to the wall in that Hoiberg is out of contract in a year's time. And he has gone on record um, as saying that he, uh, while he is... Uh, says he has a good relationship with Southampton. He's um, grateful for the platform they gave him um, when they bought him from Bayern Munich, where he had uh, been brought into the, the Bayern team by um, Pep Guardiola. Um, but saying that his ambition, he says, my goal is very clear. I want to win the Premier League and the Champions League. Um, I'm focused on my club at the moment, but the goal down the line is to be at a bigger club. Um, some of his comments are, have uh, led to him being stripped of the Southampton captaincy. Again, another signal that, that Southampton see him as a player. They have to sell in this market. Um, they, I'm told, have three offers so far for the player. None of them are, are satisfactory. Um, one extremely low financial level. Uh, and they have a, an offer um, of cash plus um, players in exchange, which I understand has come from Tottenham Hotspur. Um, my information is that Jose Mourinho likes Hoiberg and he sees him as um, a player, obviously, with substantial Premier League experience, who he can bring into the centre of mis midfield, can play a couple of positions in midfield at relatively low cost um, and solve some of the problems he sees in that squad. We've seen Mourinho um, talk yesterday about uh, how he sees the market developing this year. Um, we told you on the, the, on the podcast, um, I think two months ago now, that uh, Daniel Levy had basically told him there would be no um, money for um, large transfer fees and he would have to look for players who are free agents or could be signed um, on loan with an option to buy in a year's time or um, taken um, by selling, exchanging current players in the Tottenham squad for them. 
Um, and Mourinho said yesterday, you now have examples already of clubs investing and making important movements in the market. We're still nine matches away from the end of the season. We know that we are not going to be in the same league, in the same world as clubs that are going to do uh, completely different to us. Um, but he says, I would expect us not to do anything to stay exactly with the same squad that we have in the moment. My answer is no. I expect us to do some little important things. And if we do our little important things and we improve in two, three positions that we need to in this squad, I'm completely open to the challenge. Um, but Hoiberg, one of those players he is looking at as a little important thing. Um, I am told that Southampton are desperately trying to improve the value of Tottenham's offer and they're trying to market Hoiberg to as many clubs as possible in the hope that they get a, a larger um, financial offer for a player who, as I've explained, they expect that they will have to sell this summer. What does this mean, Duncan, um, for our, uh, the, 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 the man who's, whose name we love because it perfectly illustrates uh, Donna Immobile, i.e. Tangi and Dombele. Uh, very, very disappointing since uh, becoming Spurs' record transfer. Last summer, uh, Mourinho called him out on two occasions before the season was suspended uh, for his attitude, both in training and generally. Um, as we've talked about before, uh, teammates... Uh, coaches at Tottenham say that he's incredibly um, uh, inconsistent with his training. One day he can be, quotes, a bull, and the next he can be a peacock. Uh, and it seems with Eric Dyer being offered a new contract and the interest in Hoiberg, maybe, just maybe, Josie's had enough. Uh, look, I, uh, Tottenham have a huge amount invested in, in Dombele. Um, record transfer fee, big wages. Um, he was meant to be the centrepiece of the rebuild and was very much a player Maurizio Pochettino wanted to bring in. Player with, with a lot of admirers throughout Europe because of that skill he has on the ball and his ability to find passes, um, ability to, to score goals. His problem, which which is a pre-existing one, which is one that people in Leon will tell you have, is his conditioning isn't great, and it, and um, and a consistency of performance wasn't there, and that seems to have been um, probably exacerbated at Tottenham. Obviously, most players coming into the Premier League find it hard to adapt, and if if you have a problem with physical conditioning, then definitely that adaptation is going to be harder particularly playing in the in the centre midfield. He came at a bad time with Pochettino unhappy, um, regretting his decision to remain at the club. Um, the season starting very badly. Then you have a change of, of manager, which um, he, you have to say, didn't respond well to. It, the two have not gelled. He's been given opportunities in the team, but uh, I think you just... If you watch the performances, you can understand why Mourinho will have frustrations with them, independent of um, that training ground and uh, and kind of behaviour off the field in terms of looking after yourself as an athlete. My understanding is that he will remain at the club, um, and it, it, it basically Mourinho has been told um, this player is of importance to Tottenham. We're not prepared to take. Um, a loss on him um, so you will have to solve the problem 
with management and coaching. Uh, and I think the expectation uh, has been that he will be part of the squad um, for the coming season. Um, and the, the interesting part is to see how he responds to that and um, what Mourinho is capable of of drawing for, from him. As you as you said, he has been open in the press and openly critical of the player. Um, that's a tactic that's worked for Mourinho in the past. Um, it's part of his management style. Um, but you can certainly argue that it has failed to work as his career has gone on and as players um, have changed and had uh, you know, higher profile, some social media is something that uh, is a bugbear to Mourinho. And, and I think you can go back through his, um, his interviews and he discusses the changing character of players. And I think Ndombele fits into that category of player that he has from time to time had difficulty with. Um, so it's a fascinating situation to observe. Um, maybe it will help in Dombele to have a player like Hoiberg challenging for a position or working with him in the midfield. You can say that for a good chunk of Mourinho's time at Tottenham, um, they've been very short on key players in uh, midfield and attacking areas. Um, so it's been harder than it should have been in normal circumstances to, to manage that squad and, and manage players and individual man management to pressure a player or to convince them that he needs to perform in a better fashion to uh, to hold down a place in the team. Um, and it's always easier working and pressurising players when the team is performing well and getting results in the field. And obviously the pre-COVID period was a very difficult one in terms of the results for Tottenham. Well, we've yet to hear Jose talk about omelettes and the need for quality eggs from Waitrose. Um, uh, for those of you who remember that reference uh, during his final transfer market at Chelsea. Uh, but there's still plenty of time left uh, for anecdotes of that kind. Strictly speaking, this podcast is not your questions answered. Uh, we are going to take one question because it's particularly good. Mr Matthew Miller, hello to you. Thank you for your question. And yes, Duncan and I are both well. And Matthew asks Duncan, will the suspension of FFP allow really rich clubs the unprecedented opportunity to spend loads of cash on players? I think um, Matthew's analysis is spot on here. And I think that is, I think that's what UEFA are partially looking for in the changes they've made to the financial fair play regulations for the, the coming two seasons. So, so what they've done is to say um, that there will be no assessment of financial fair play um, for the, the 2021 season. Um, and that they're going to roll those, uh, the 2019-20 and the 2020-21 seasons into one long period. Um, and assess uh, whether you have achieved break-even over that entire two-year period rather than uh, make it uh, an assessment on the, this coming season and the, the past season, which will both have been hit um, particularly hard by COVID. Um, they're also allowed um, 
the assessment to be made in a different fashion. So normally, uh, you obviously your your revenues are balanced off against your expenditure. Certain things are allowed to be deducted from your expenditure, such as investment in academy and investment in infrastructure, stadium investment. Um, but in the, the 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 rules they've set up for the new financial fair play assessment, they will take what your anticipated revenues had been for those seasons and that will be based on um, the 2018-19 revenues and use that as a minimum and whatever um, level your revenues fall to during the COVID period can be assessed as that was the cost of COVID, that was the damage COVID did to your books and you get that spending basically for free. You can also, if you had um, agreed, for example, a new broadcasting or sponsorship deal um, before COVID was put in place, you're allowed that, to add that to your what they call anticipated average revenues for, for the 2020 and 2021 seasons. So they're essentially allowing clubs to inflate their revenues um, to write off a lot of the damage of COVID. They've, they've done two things alongside this, which is to, to insist that clubs pay all their um, transfer fees um, that are overdue, which is a standard part of FFP. So one of the things FFP does is ensure clubs pay their debts on transfers to each other. And if you fail to do that, then you generally automatically fail to pass FFP. So they've retained that in place, which well, should help the circulation of cash around the football ecosystem. And then they've given these provisions for COVID and indicated that they will allow owners to put cash into the club um, to make up for uh, the money that is lost due to COVID. So say your budget for the coming season was supposed to be 500 million euros and you can show that the revenue decreased in the COVID season by 150 million, then you would be allowed to put, owners would be allowed to put 150 million in minimum, perhaps more of their own cash now um, and say, well, we, we are just compensating for the damage the pandemic has done. That obviously is only of significant use to the clubs who have rich owners or access to resources to be able to put that additional money into their books. Um, if you don't have an owner, if you're um, a, a club-owned entity like Barcelona um, and you weren't able to secure um, cash through debt, then you just have to stick with the, the revenues you've got. Um, but clubs like Manchester City, clubs like um, Paris Saint-Germain, potentially a club like Newcastle United if the Saudi Arabian takeover goes through, would be able to put that new capital uh, and money into their club. So they will get an advantage from this system um, over other clubs. I think it, again, it's interesting because UEFA having battled against nation state clubs and having battled against these sort of large cash investments into um, specific clubs are in changing the rules in this way they're basically saying well we're quite happy to have that new capital now because um, we need money into the ecosystem 
if we allow Paris Saint-Germain to spend a lot of money on transfers, that money will go to clubs um, who don't have rich owners. That will allow them to spend um, on players from other clubs and the, the, the injection of capital that's come in from um, the clubs who have affluent owners, Everton, another example could be in this case, will um, help compensate for some of the revenue that's been lost by loss of spectators, loss of matches, loss of broadcast revenue during the, the pandemic period. Two interesting factors on that as well, Duncan. One, um, clubs recorded record revenue in the 2018-19 season, which we saw in the Deloitte football uh, finance report. So not only have clubs got the advantage of increasing the amount of revenue on estimation, uh, they've also got a higher bar to begin with um, than they've ever had. Secondly, um, kind of like the, um, the analogy with what you're saying, it's like expected goals, expected revenue. So <laughs> XG and XR, could there be a better time to buy Kylian Mbappe than this summer window? Well, depends who's buying, doesn't it? <laughs> it depends if you could, if you are able to put that extra money on your books that is by definition missing um, because it, it, it's revenue that's been lost to, to COVID. Uh, yeah, you could borrow the money from elsewhere. Bar uh, Real Madrid may decide that, that this change in, in financial fair play rules allows them to um, to borrow and and push for Mbappe. But if it's Mbappe you're going for, then you're 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 trying to take a player from the club who've just been given the green light to spend um, the Qatari riches on on players and on on salaries again by UEFA. So on the other hand, it it, it probably makes it harder to get a player like Mbappe because PSG who had al already made it clear that they didn't want to, to lose Mbappe and they didn't want to lose um, Neymar uh, in this coming transfer window. I've been given a green light to to say, well, FFP doesn't really matter in this coming season. You get, you're getting a free hit here. Um, restructure, because we've got more important things to worry about. Um, question, question obviously is, will FFP ever go back to, to being the system it, it was previously? There have been discussions about changes to financial fair play before any of this happened. You've had the UEFA president, Alexander Cheferin, talking about how he likes the idea of a salary cap and, and would, uh, would move towards that if, it, if he felt it was possible under European Union laws. I think there is a very good chance that financial fair play will be changed after this um, relaxation period, which will allow clubs to get into the habit of, of operating in a different way to, to which they've been forced to operate for a while. Well, of course, FFP was the brainchild and baby of the former UEFA president, Michel Platini, who clearly in retrospect did not apply it to his own uh, personal financial dealings when it came to um, consultation fees for FIFA. Uh, that's another story, of course. Um, however, um, now that he's gone, it is possible, I suppose, that uh, UEFA will relax or indeed scrap FFP uh, in favour of something like a salary cap. Um, we think that with the constant threat, Duncan, of a European Super League on the horizon, 
UEFA will be very, very uh, cautious with regards to any substantial uh, changes they make uh, to um, the legislature of the game, which might upset the super clubs, the elite clubs, and of course, a salary cap. While some might think, well, that's a good idea, then others will decide that, well, we can't compete properly if we have a salary cap, so why should we vote in favour of it? So I think there's going to be a huge debate about that, um, which, of course, will be triggered and influenced anyway by the economic outcome of the pandemic. Yeah, I, I think that's the case, Ian. I think um, on, on salary cap, one, one, if you ask the American owners, they would be quite happy to have salary caps in, in European football. If you ask the, um, the nation state owners, uh, they will not be keen to have salary caps until they've established themselves as the strongest clubs in the competition and put themselves in unassailable positions. But talking about transfers, another thing that came out of the UEFA executive meeting, which is important, is that the executive committee are proposing that the the deadline, they want a, a harmonised end date for this transfer window as October the 5th, 2020, because they have set a deadline for player registration for the group stages of the of the Champions League and Europa League for October the 6th. Um, it remains to be seen whether the national leagues follow. It's um, under the FIFA uh, jurisdiction. It's FIFA who, who determine the international transfer windows. They allow the national leagues to decide when they want to place um, their individual uh, windows. Uh, and interesting to see if they agree to harmonise or whether, as has been the case um, for several years now, some of the leagues try and gain an advantage by leaving their window open slightly later, or in some cases substantially later uh, than competitors, um, so that they can pick up some bargains when only they are allowed to sign new players and, uh, and their opponents cannot. Indeed, that will be fascinating to see if uh, national leagues decide to go with it. Um, something they will be concerned about, that's for sure, given the current circumstances of how leagues are yet to be completed around the continent, is the intervention of FIFPRO, which of course is the International Players Union, uh, who have released a statement expressing their concern that players will not be given enough time off after the delayed completion of national leagues this summer. They believe, and their medics uh, believe, that a player, every player deserves and needs and requires between five or six weeks of resting period before resuming football for next season. Clearly, that would not currently be possible, given the diary, um, that both UEFA, FIFA and the National Leagues have. Remember, we're going into a se season next season, 2020-21, where the delayed European Championships are due to be played in the summer. We've got delays in all of the major leagues uh, who've decided to complete. Duncan, this, this is, I guess, it's encouraging that FIFA are getting involved. And of course, we've spoken at length uh, in the past about um, player well-being and safety and safeguarding from injury due to fatigue and or not being uh, strictly fit enough to resume full 
uh, football at this stage in the summer. Um, however, uh, if you ask the player, what would he rather do? Um, would he rather come back and play football in, say, late, early September, late September, um, or be on holiday during that time, knowing that there's going to be European Championships at the end of the season? I'm pretty sure they would say, I'd rather just go back and play. Well, they have had breaks um, from normal training, although most of them have been expected to to train by themselves um, and and follow dietary advice. And you know, if you look at it as a holiday as as a time to recharge and um, get away from the mental stresses of the game, uh, an enforced break uh, by a, a global pandemic probably isn't the best kind of holiday. Um, to achieve those aims. FIFPRO have quite rightly been arguing that the, the international calendar, the domestic calendar need to change and that the, the, the crowded nature of the sport where top players can go essentially years with, with very, very little holiday. Those kind of players are almost only getting breaks when their body breaks down and they and they um, have to rehabilitate and uh, again not a, a proper holiday um, they're asking that in, in this post-covid situation they have a minimum agreed holiday periods need to be respected which in most countries would be three weeks and that there should be a those should be followed by a retraining period to avoid injuries i just don't think this is going to happen um, and they're also asking that the mid-season break, which they've been pushing for a mandatory mid-season break of, of between 10 and 14 days in all uh, leagues, um, be uh, implemented in all of those leagues and emphasised, again, those, those mid-season breaks may well disappear um, for the 2021 season in, in, uh, in several countries. And England is, is likely to be one where that will come under pressure, having only just been introduced. I think the end result is going to be poor quality football. Um, we have seen in the Bundesliga players coming back um, for restart and a series of uh, muscular injuries. So you lose players because the, their physical condition isn't right. Um, and, and understandably, it's difficult for the coaches to get them into good condition because they've never um, been presented with this problem before. They've never had such long breaks. They've never had socially distanced training. And the specialists were looking at this and saying exactly what is the best way to approach it. Um, and it, it's been a process of discovery. You also see that I think you, you, you talk to coaches who've been watching the Bundesliga and watching the Premier League, they'll say the intensity drops off after 60 minutes. It, it drops off unusually early, which they attribute to um, the the problems training the players properly to get back into condition. So you're going to have that coupled with more injuries uh, because you ask players to play too many games in, in too condensed a period of time. Um, you lose top quality players, so you get a, a lower quality product through this period. But the question is, with football desperately chasing its broadcast revenue and trying to get these matches back and taking risks with protocols, which we've explored in detail in the podcast, um, things like a condensed calendar are probably very, very low down the list of priorities for the organising bodies and for 
the employers. Agree with you completely there, Duncan. And um, I think also, though, just uh, as an aside, having watched some of the Bundesliga matches live, um, I think as lots of people did when there was no other football uh, to see live football, um, I think the lack of crowd also um, was an influence on the lack of intensity in games, uh, maybe after 60 minutes more so. Um, certainly two or three Premier League players that I spoke to said they'd been watching Bundesliga games themselves and they felt that when a, a team went behind, then the lack of fa- their fans being in the stadium, urging them on and urging them to get involved uh, in action, uh, meant that the uh, the intensity in the motivation certainly dropped a level as well, um, which didn't help. So as we return to the first weekend of Premier League action since the suspension of the season, it'll be interesting indeed to see how that one pans out. Now, though, we go to Roman Abramovich's art collection because it has been reported that the Chelsea owner has successfully purchased the famous Edvard Munch painting, The Screen. If you haven't seen this, but I'm sure you will have at some point, uh, just Google it and you will come up straight away. Um, The picture is um, supposed to represent uh, the human psyche troubled by uh, manic depression or indeed uh, psychological disorder. And of course, that leads us to the donkey because the donkey often deals with this very same issues only in football. So this week's donkey is going to be dedicated to Roman Abramovich's art collection, the donkey for the football situation, which perhaps produced a similar response as Munch's painting of that particular person. First up, and you won't be surprised as I open the envelope. Let me just do that first. Oh, there we go. Uh, is a gold decision system. <laughs> Stroke VAR in the Sheffield United versus Aston Villa match on Wednesday evening. I'm sure you all know what I'm talking about. Uh, it produced, I think, a collective scream around the world as people could not believe that either of the electronic arbitrations managed to intervene and award Sheffield United a goal, which, of course, could have a big outcome on the possibility of Champions League football for the club. Two more here. One, and this is maybe my favourite, I have to say, was um, Jurgen Klopp's response when he heard that Timo Werner was signing for Chelsea. Uh, Noted again, self-explanatory, having spent some of his um, lockdown period in conference calls uh, on video screens, not screams, uh, with the German striker, uh, persuading that the only place to be was Merseyside and Liverpool. And thirdly, another Liverpool-related one, we've decided that Anfield could be painted in, perhaps into the background of the screen by Edvard Munch. Uh, At the moment, Steven Gerrard slipped in that infamous game against Chelsea when effectively they lost a league title. So, Duncan, I'm leaving it to you to decide which one gets the Roman Abramovich Art Collection Donkey Award for the best screen. Well, I have to say the image of um, a, a, a repainted cop with, a, with tens of thousands of, of monk um, screamers 
watching <laughs> on as, as, as Gerard slips to the floor. Someone's got to do it, haven't they? I hope we inspire. I hope we inspire some artists out there to do it. Do it, and then send us a picture. Yes, Jurgen Klopp, uh, for a huge frustration at losing Timo Werner. Um, Liverpool have been trying to uh, brief that one away for some time now, saying that uh, they decided against the move for for financial reasons. It was too expensive in the context uh, of post-COVID environment. Um, you wonder whether some of that is to do with Fenway Sport Group thinking, well, we won the Champions League last year with the squad you've got. Um, we're about to win the Premier League, um, probably by a record margin the squad you've got um maybe you can just get on with it and uh win us something else with uh with that squad um we've seen that mistake happen before at other football clubs where owners think they know better than the manager and um let's see how long Jurgen's scream lasts over Timo Werner um but I think this one has to go to that uh goal decision system Hawkeye error um and VAR, most importantly, their failure to overrule it when everyone who was watching that game immediately after the incident happened wanted to see a replay to see whether the ball had gone over the line or not because it looked like it had. Um, we saw clearly it had gone over the line. The question is, what on earth were the video assistant referees doing at the time? Um, and also, why didn't the referee ask those video assistant referees to take a look at it, um, given that Sheffield United players were understandably protesting that they, they felt the ball go, gone over the line. Obviously, there's a dependence on technology. Um, we've got used to goal decision system being um, infallible. It's one of, the, one of the reasons why it's so popular. Everyone accepts it. It takes away a lot of controversy. Um, I mean, I, but I think this one's quite damaging, especially when you have people like Mark Clattenburg, um, former European Championship final and Champions League final referee, claiming that when he was using the goal decision system as a referee in the Premier League before he disappeared off to Saudi Arabia to take a, a chunky contract over there, claiming that the goal decision system malfunctioned quite often. He said... Um, I've had situations in the Premier League where the watch, which signals whether um, a goal had been scored or not, would go off and give a goal when the ball did not enter the goal. Um, this can happen sometimes where it just malfunctions and people would not notice that. Now, if Clattenburg's been accurate about that, that could uh, damage this sort of faith we've had in the goal decision system. And um, there are many people who still have faith in video assistant referees, given the, the problems it's caused to the game. I think um, it has to be diminishing when something like that happens in a match, which, as you say, has implications not just for Champions League qualification for Sheffield United, but huge implications for relegation um, for Aston Villa and several other clubs fighting to avoid it at the bottom. It's one thing there being a malfunction um, to say that the goal hadn't, uh, the ball hadn't gone into the goal and the, the, the um, buzzer had gone off. It's another for a six-foot-two goalkeeper to go over the line, Duncan, with the ball in his hands and, it's, and the buzzer not go off. That just seems to me very strange indeed. But, uh, you know, it was the first game back. Uh, someone suggested to me that maybe the, uh, the VAR guys were ordering a pizza at the time and just taking their eye literally off the ball. So, um, 
maybe we'll find out whether or not that was the case in the days to come. Uh, that's it for today's transfer window. Thank you very much for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed uh, hearing the debate today. And of course, please do join in uh, on our social media channels. We are at Transfer Podcast on uh, Twitter, on Instagram and on Facebook. We also have upgraded ourselves in this technological world with our YouTube channel. Just search Transfer Window Podcast and you can get the whole pod there as well. Uh, it's been a pleasure, of course, as always, to have your company. Uh, we'll be back next week with the transfer window, of course. Until then, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening. Hey.